Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about unlocking executive presence through emotional intelligence. Connie was in her second year at a global hardware company as chief product officer. She had been a product leader at a hardware behemoth until this smaller giant wooed her away. Now she was in the C-suite with global reach. Her entry into the company had been an explosion. From the outset, she had told people change was urgent. She'd complained that current standards wouldn't get them where they needed to go. She was not shy with her opinion that her peers were the wrong people in the wrong roles. In the interest of excellence, Connie burned a lot of bridges. In response, the company let her know they did not like the way they were being treated. Connie was offered coaching, and she accepted gratefully. She interviewed three coaches. She selected me. One of the first things she and I did together was to get on a Zoom call with her boss, Nino. The purpose of the call was to align the three of us on the goals for Connie's coaching. Nino came to the conversation well prepared. He only had two items on his list. First, he wanted Connie to know how much he supported what she was trying to accomplish. He conceded there were a lot of obstacles between her and success, which led to his first goal for the coaching, remove the obstacles, achieve her vision. Nino wanted Connie to succeed. Second, and not unrelated, he thought, was his wish that she repair her relationships. He spoke openly about his own journey. He told us, I used to be the worst. I built my career by putting my chin down, putting my arm out, and scoring goals no matter who was in my way. But once I began leading divisions where I didn't even know the people I was leading, that just didn't work anymore. So I got a coach, and she taught me about emotional intelligence. He went on, Connie, you're challenging everyone to make a lot of changes. I want those changes to happen, but they won't if people aren't willing to put their hearts into them. And if people keep being angry at you, they won't give their hearts. That's why emotional intelligence is so important in leadership. In our next coaching conversation, Connie reflected on the phrase emotional intelligence. She said, I understand the concept of an intelligence. One of my daughters has intelligence for plants. It's like she was born knowing everything about them. Mine is about systems. I've always been good at seeing how things work. That's my intelligence. So I understand the idea of an intelligence. But an intelligence for emotion? <laughs> Not in the house I grew up in. My parents said the only way for us to succeed was to not pay attention to what other people think of you. And so I didn't, and it gave me a lot of power. I am grateful for that. But it also meant turning off a lot of emotion. It wasn't all bad. You know, it got me past a lot of tough times. But it's not helpful now. Now people want me to pay attention to their feelings, and I don't know how. I said, I wonder if learning a model for emotional intelligence would help. Okay, she said. But before that, just to be clear, can you define it for me? What exactly are we talking about? What is emotional intelligence, I asked. 
Here's how I talk about emotional intelligence with leaders. It starts with something I believe is true. People have strong feelings about their work. That they do, she interjected, eyes rolling. I continued, leaders whose executive presence comes from their emotional intelligence touch people's feelings about their work. Those leaders move people. Those leaders are the ones people want to follow. She said, it's the opposite of people don't quit their jobs, they quit their bosses, right? Exactly, yes, I agreed. Well, at least that's something, she said. My people aren't quitting me. Everyone else might want to kill me, but not them. I agree, Connie, your team adores you. She asked, and you think this emotional intelligence model will help with everyone else? Maybe, I answered. I think emotional intelligence makes relationships better overall. Yes. She said, so teach me the model. I said, okay. So first, we agree that people can have intelligence of emotion, like your daughter has intelligence in living things. Some people live in a world where everyone everywhere is broadcasting emotions all the time. Leaders with the intelligence of emotion can tune into that channel. They can read emotions the way some people can read a spreadsheet. She sighed and asked, where do you think that comes from? Do we learn it? <laughs> That's the question, isn't it? Nature or nurture? I said, as dad to two adopted daughters, I watched it up close and I think it's a combination. Yes, I think we learn it. Like you said about growing up in your household, you were taught to live with your emotions turned off. Other kids learn to have their emotions turned on. That's nurture. And then, even within those groups, yes, some kids are more wired for it than others. That's nature. I think it's both. Were you wired for it, she asked? I think so. I always sensed feelings were happening. I didn't always understand them, but I knew they were there, and they interested me. So I've been learning about them over the years. You know, Books, workshops, therapy. Over the years, my emotional intelligence has gotten better. Like Nino's has gotten better, she said. Yeah, I agreed. Plus, for me, it shows up in my work. I get to think about it all the time, about how executive presence connects to emotional intelligence. I'm always learning about it. Oh boy, she said, am I going to be a bonanza for you? I laughed. Waving her hand, she said, sorry, I keep derailing us. Tell me the model. No, this has been great, I said. Okay, here's the model. It's a two-by-two two square. There are two columns. One column is how your emotional intelligence relates to others. So this column is you looking out at other people's feelings. The second column is your emotional intelligence in relation to yourself. This column is you looking inward at your own feelings. And then going across, there are two rows. One row is awareness. How aware are you of other people's feelings? How aware are you of your own? The second row is self-management. Can you put your relationships before your impulses? How are you going to show up for others and for yourself? She looked up and away, picturing the four squares, and then she said, okay, suppose I want to jump into the box that's me being aware of other people's feelings. How would I do that? Well, first I'd ask, where are you now, Connie? When you're with other people, how much of that emotional language do you hear? Can you recognize other people's feelings? 
Now, she said, not much. Well, no, that's not true. With my sister, I know what she's feeling almost all the time. I'm pretty good with my husband. I used to get that wrong a lot, but he tells me I'm getting better. Well, how did you get better, I asked. With him? I learned to shut up. I used to tell him what to do all the time, and he hated it. I told him I was just trying to help, but he actually didn't want my help. He wanted me to listen. He taught me just to shut up. It's hard, but I can do it. Well, Connie, I said, that's the model in a nutshell. First, you had an awareness about someone else's feelings, and then you did some self-management to adapt, and that's it. Awareness and self-management. That's emotional intelligence, and that's how you'll get better at it. She thought about that, then said, would it be the same in the other column? When it's me and my feelings, you know, something happens, I think about my feelings, and then I act by choice, not reaction, I manage myself? Yes, Connie, that is the other column. You've got it. She shook her head. Maybe I have the model, but besides my sister and my husband, I don't think I'm very good at reading other people's feelings, or my own, for that matter. I said, you know what I think part of the problem is for a lot of people? Fluency. Most of us never learned vocabulary for our feelings. And by the time we're adults, we use one or two words over and over to describe a whole range of feelings. It's hard to read feelings if you can't name them accurately. She said, my sister teases me all the time. She says the only word I ever use about myself is stressful. Whenever she asks me about anything, I say it's stressful. Well, if you want to expand your vocabulary, I've got a PDF I can send you, I offered. Really? What is it? It's a grid filled with feeling words. There are seven columns. They have headings like uh, happiness and sadness and anger. And then the words in the columns are ranked from weak to medium to strong. The grid helps you build fluency. I think you'll like it. Connie and I worked on emotional intelligence throughout her coaching. She came to see emotional intelligence as a language that could, as Nino had predicted, help her repair relationships. After some early wins, she began to believe she was moving towards the look and sound of leadership. I want to begin this section of the episode with four quick resources. Two are infographics that you can download. Two are books. Let me start with the books. The first book is by Sylvia Ann Hewlett. Sylvia Ann Hewlett is the founding president of the Center for Talent Innovation. It's a nonprofit think tank out of New York. The center focuses on women and minorities. And over the years, the center has released a lot of different white papers on different topics. In 2012, they released a paper called Executive Presence. And in the paper, they discussed the research that they had done into this thing called executive presence. They'd surveyed 4,000 college graduate professionals who were working in big corporations like American Express and Marie Claire. When I saw it, I was completely fascinated with those findings. And over the years, I will confess, several ideas from that paper have turned into episodes of this show. Well, here we are 11 years later, Sylvia Ann Hewlett builds on her white paper and writes a book called Executive Presence, The Missing Link Between Merit and Success. I'm mentioning it here because she makes a really clear case how much your executive presence is influenced by your EQ. Second book, 
I have talked about this book before. I love this book. It's in its third edition. It is called The EQ Edge. What I love about this book is how many really simple exercises they have for you that are really effective. If you wanted to spend, you know, five minutes a day exercising your EQ, this book would have something for you. And plus, they break down EQ into really simple components, and they match each of their exercises to each component. It's just, it's a great toolkit, the EQ Edge. Links to both of those books and to the original white paper are in the show notes. The two infographics I mentioned, they're both free. They're both on the website. One is the grid I mentioned to Connie. Uh, I've mentioned it in three or four episodes over the years. I know a lot of you ask for this. It's a vocabulary builder. It is the feeling words grid, help yourself. And the other infographic is brand new. We built it for this episode. It is the model that you heard me describe to Connie. Uh, one of the things I've done as we built the model for you to download is I put an exercise in each quadrant, and so I hope it is a really helpful tool for you. Help yourself. Okay, I have three final ideas about various aspects of emotional intelligence. The first idea starts with something that I did not tell you about Connie. So in the episode, what you heard is she picks me and we have a conversation with her boss, Nino, and he mentions emotional intelligence. And then the next thing you know, Connie and I are talking about emotional intelligence. Yeah, well, that is not what happened because after she and I talked with Nino, then we did a 360-degree feedback report. That took time. And then... Connie and I ended up spending a lot of time talking about the feedback report because the feedback was upsetting to Connie. And Connie denied she was upset. The entire first part of Connie's coaching was helping her accept the feedback that she needed to work on her emotional intelligence. This can be a really tough step. So maybe you are working with someone who is having trouble accepting their feedback that they need to be a little more emotionally intelligent. It can be really frustrating. I want to tell you, have patience. I identify with the person who is denying the feedback. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was growing up, I had certain words that I vowed I was never going to be. One of them was arrogant. I was never going to be arrogant. Well, one summer in my 30s, I was living with a group of people. This is a group that we came together every summer. We lived together. It was a community that I trusted completely. And this one summer, they were giving me feedback that I was arrogant. Now, I knew these people loved me, but I knew they were wrong. I didn't want to appear defensive, you know, so I would just look sort of confused and I would say, really, me, arrogant, huh? But inside I was thinking, what? No, that is not true. I could not hear their feedback, even though it was given with love and kindness. I could not hear it. So I sympathize. It is hard to hear this feedback. If you want to get good at giving feedback, two quick tools. Number one, read Thanks for the Feedback. It is, oh my gosh, it's just going to give you so much helpful ways to think about feedback and scripts to use. It's terrific and simple and fun. The second idea is a communication tool called Speak for Yourself. I'm going to teach it to you really quickly. Let's suppose you're trying to get someone to hear their impact on others, right? That's what you want them to hear. Well, the only indisputable impact that you can actually talk about is your own. What is this person's impact? on you. Speak for yourself. And so you get to say things like, well, to me, you looked upset. 
or I understand why people might feel that way. You tell the other person how you experience them without apology, but also without penalty. The purpose isn't to shame someone. It's the chance for you to name your own feelings so the other person can see that feelings aren't lethal. Speak for yourself can help people hear feedback about themselves. So all of that, that's all idea number one. Here's idea number two. I observe many people are disconnected from their feelings. Tell me how many times you've seen this. Someone's upset about something and you say, gee, it looks like you're upset. And they go, no, 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 I'm fine. And they mean it. They do not admit to having feelings. Many people do this. Many people are disconnected from their feelings. If you want to become more emotionally intelligent, more connected to your feelings, ask yourself, do you talk about how you feel? Do you ask other people how they feel? Do you do it in your family? Do you talk about feelings with your kids? Not everyone can do it today, but it is a skill Everyone can learn. How would you learn more about your feelings? Two quick exercises. Before some event that you're going to have, right? You're going to present at a meeting. You're attending a gathering. Think about the people who are going to be there and ask yourself for each person, what might that person feel during the event? Imagine other people's feelings in a real situation. That's the exercise. Remember to do it before an event of yours. And by the way, I just want to say, this can get to be a really fun game. Here's the second one. After some event of yours, you're presenting at a meeting, you're attending a gathering, think about your experience. How many feelings did you have over the course of the event? Name your feelings. That's it. That's the exercise. The idea here, this, this second idea that I'm introducing, is that many people are disconnected from their feelings. That can change with exercises like those, simple exercises, thought exercises, flex your muscles. Idea number three, right after this month's gratitude. A quick gratitude this month. Last month I mentioned that, yes, I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, people just like you, people where their company is not going to pay for their coaching. And people reached out to me, and it was just lovely. It was so great. I haven't even gotten to talk to everyone yet, but thanks for everyone who reached out. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, as always, always and always, to people who post reviews. It feels so old school, but I got to tell you, it still matters. Recently, someone mentioned to me that the one of the reasons she started listening to the show was because she saw it had over a 1,000 five-star ratings. That mattered to her. She became a listener. Your reviews matter. So thank you this month to A.A. A. Pittman from here in the United States. A.A. A. Pittman said they used the show in leadership mentor groups as a discussion springboard. That was cool. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot. And with that, gratitude concludes. Final idea about growing this thing called emotional intelligence. Here is a core idea. Feelings are. Feelings are not bad, and they are not good. They simply are. 
But an impediment to our own emotional development is we often judge our feelings. We think some feelings are good and some feelings are not good, and the ones that are not good, we should not have them. I know in my life, I grew up avoiding anger like it was electrified. My brother allowed himself to get angry, but I never could. Something in my bones felt that anger was bad, and if I displayed it, then I was bad. I bottled up my anger for long periods of times, and then, I'm sure you won't be surprised, I had some really terrible explosions. And then I would feel so ashamed. It was an awful cycle. It happened because I believed that anger was a bad emotion. And if I was angry, then I would be bad. And I wanted to avoid that. But anger is not a bad emotion. Because feelings are. They are like an element in our world. They just are. What I'm talking about here is acceptance. Can you accept the emotions around you? Imagine that you see that someone is angry at you. Can you accept that? Perhaps you are angry at someone else. Can you accept that? Whatever you're feeling, it's okay because feelings are. You do not have to act on the feeling, but you can tolerate the feelings because feelings just are. I hope these ideas sound juicy to you. If you want to grow this part of your leadership, we have a lot more resources for you. You could look in the archive under Executive Presence or Managing Yourself or personal growth and self-development. Five specific episodes you might listen to are Building Emotional Intelligence. It's a different take on these ideas. Building Empathy, The Human Element, Leadership and Self-Deception, and Speaking for Yourself. There is an entire episode on that idea and that tool. There are lots and lots of links for you in the show notes. Please help yourself. Okay, that's it for me. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>